for today. Today is the last Sunday of 2013, the last service that we come together. Um, and I think I said earlier, I cannot believe that this year is over. You know, they say it, everybody says it, but the older you get, the faster it goes. What's it going to be like in 10 more years? Because it's like 2013 started yesterday. Anybody feel that way, Gene? Yesterday started and bam, it's over. And it's just hard to imagine. And when I look back, and what I always do at the end of a year and beginning of a new year, I take time for contemplation. I always also try to preach a message that's tied to somehow looking back and looking forward. Uh, Because I really think it's what God wants us to do. That um, this Christian life is about growing and developing. And if you're the same right now as you were at the beginning of the year, I think you've missed something that God wants. Sometimes, especially us men, we get this prideful thing that says, you know, I've always been that way. I want to know something. God's not happy with that attitude when I have it or when you have it. Because he wants me to be better. He wants us to grow and develop that every year we're more like Jesus. So the things that were wonderful to us then, the things that maybe that really held our attention or were super significant back then, God wants to bring us to a spot that we recognize that's not where it's at. He's developing us, and we should never stop growing. And so ends of the year, beginning of new year, you know, big events in life should be times that we evaluate and we say, where am I on in this journey? And so I want to I kind of think about that today. And as I look back over 2013, and I look back from my perspective, but also from my perspective as the pastor of this group of wonderful people. And, you know, this this, this morning, Brett's laying on, on our couch, and I, t- I think I told you, he's laying there and just dying in pain because we just moved him. And um, his eyes are kind of closed, and he's kind of talking like this, and he said, tell everybody at church, thank you for praying, and I love them, and I miss them. And Suzanne said, she goes, Brett, you know what a wonderful church family we're part of? And she started talking about all the people who had been emailing, and all the, you know, and for her, you know, going through three weeks ago surgery, all the people who have helped and made meals and done everything and prayed, and we're just looking, you know, saying, what a great church family. And I get this unique perspective, and that I can look at my own life, but I also can look at the perspective of this church family's life because I, just because of my job, know a lot of things that a lot of other people don't know because you come and talk to me and I don't ever share those things unless, you know, for some reason you want me to. But but as I look from that perspective and I look at at 2013 and I kind of ask myself at this time of the year, what do I see? And as I look back, I remember a lot of really good experiences. We've come through some great things. We've had some great victories as individuals and as a church this last year. It's been a really good year, a lot of great things. We've also had some really big challenges. Some of you have walked through some of the deepest valleys you've ever walked through in your life before. Some of you walked through some hard times. And some of us, you know, I didn't expect to have a December that was basically going to be eaten up with with surgeries. I didn't think at the beginning of the year that was no plan, you know, that that was all going to happen that way. And some of there have been some big challenges, and some of you have had a lot bigger challenges than that, you know. but when I look back, I honestly, without trying to be hyper-spiritual, without trying to be, because sometimes we do we, we lie to ourselves, be honest, I look back, I just see the hand of God working in our lives. I really clearly see God working things out. And so do you see that? I, I hope so. But there's something else that I see, and I'll say this, I'll switch gears here from going from, from all of us to just me, and you can tell me if if it applies to you also, because maybe it doesn't, but I think it does. When I look back over this last year, I see something else, and I see this, that I stressed more than I needed to about things. 
So I look back over 2013, I see that I stressed out over things more than I really needed to. You know, when there was a Thursday and an oncologist told us about Brett and said it's like 99% cancer and it's on both adrenal glands and there's no hope. That was about three months ago. Now, I didn't come up on a Sunday morning and say, oh, by the way, the oncologist said there's no hope. But that's what they told us. And so I'm stressing, saying, God, what's going to happen? Well, now on this side of it, I'm going, oh, no big deal. So he's got, you know, so I look and go, big deal. You got five big old knife. Looks like you got stabbed five times. I said, that's minimal. You know, we're wondering if you're going to be alive, you know, three months ago. And so what I understand as I look back, I stressed about a lot of things. And I'm sure a lot of you stressed about a lot of things. That I worried that certain things wouldn't work out or outcomes wouldn't turn out um, like, they, like I hoped they would or they would turn out badly. Which when I'm honest and I look at my life, and you can ask yourself the same question, if you stressed, what that really is, is a lack of trust in God. That's really what it is. Because that's at the root of, of stress. It's a false belief that somehow I'm really in control of life anyways, which is a lie. If you, don't, if you think you're really in control, you're not. You've got it all planned out. You know, one little turn in the road proves that you're not in control of anything. God's in control. And we stress about things when we think we're in control and somehow I can worry it into changing. Now, that's not what we really think at the time, but that's really what's happening, that we really kind of lack trust in God. And as we cross out of 2013 and into 2014, I see that the things that I stressed about, and I think that we stressed about, because you would other issues in your lives, um, most of them did work out okay. I've heard somebody say 95% of what you worry about never happens. And I think in life I've kind of experienced that's the truth. You know, the bills did get paid. The deadlines were met. The health issues have worked out. Now, I don't mean any way flippantly by that, that things always work out the way that I or you would have desired for them to work out. Sometimes they don't. But I can clearly see that God has always been there through the whole year and that life is good. And life is good because our good God is always with us. And He can redeem and use everything and anything in my life and in your life to bring about good for His ultimate plan and His ultimate glory and our ultimate maturing and developing. And as I was thinking about this, I was, I was reminded of a song, and I was tempted to not do this because we just went through a whole series on songs, and I'm thinking, you guys are going, really, what's with the songs already? You know, with the hymns, uh, it's all about, about him. We just did four weeks or three Sundays and, a, and, and Christmas Eve. But I was thinking about the words of a song that, that I want to share. Just I think it's the, I don't, I'm not a music guy, I think it's the... the the chorus or the stanza or whatever in a verse. What, is that the right words? You know, familiar with the song? It's been recorded by all kinds of people called Through It All. You know that song? Andre Crouch, um, uh, a bunch of other people did. I Googled it, all kinds of people. So I was listening to Chris Tomlin. A bunch of people have done this song. And, and it just says, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. But then this is the part I really love. So I, and it's only one of the verses. So I thank God for the mountains, and I thank Him for the valleys, and I thank Him for the storms He's brought me through. Because if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that He could solve them. 
I wouldn't know what faith in his word could do. So through it all. That's, that's, as I look back, that's what I really see. I see through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. And friends, as we leave 2013 and we look forward to 2014, here's what I was asking myself, thinking about today, thinking about what could I do, because I always approach preaching as never just giving information. That's not what preaching is. As a, as a pastor, I look at how can, I, how can you use me somehow to give something worthwhile and usable and something that's a blessing to God's church, to you and to me. How can, how can his word help us? And so as I'm looking at the end of 2013 and looking forward to 2014, I ask this question, thinking about this through it all, how could we approach 2014 a bit differently so that as we, as we walk through it, we actually do walk in faith and trust through it all? That our default setting is not God, where have you gone? Or, it's, and, or your default setting is stressed out and the bad's going to happen instead of the good? How could we approach 2014 a little bit differently so we could avoid stressing out over things that really are in his care? You know, how do we have, I'd say this, how do we have a right attitude for a new year? That's what I talk about. How do we have a right attitude for a new year? Well, as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of a situation that Jesus faced one day, um, actually over a couple of days, we're going to look at in a second, that I think gives us incredible insight and guidance so that we can walk through whatever 2014 holds with incredible confidence in God, not get all stressed out, and really um, have a right attitude for a new year. So grab your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. You have your Bibles? Let's make a commitment for 2014. Whether it's electronic or it's in print, let's be people of the word more than we ever have been before. You know, I know you can listen to me. It's not about thinking and checking whether I'm lying or not. It's about us owning God's word, about us hiding God's word in our heart. And so uh, as we face this year, let's be more than ever people of the book. So one way to do that is bring your Bibles with you so we can read together. So we're going to read a huge section today, longer than I normally would. Basically, almost the entire chapter of John chapter 11, the story of the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. And I think you're going to see this is incredibly applicable leaving this year and going into the next year. So we're going to read the first 44 verses. So if you're familiar with the story, follow along. If you're not, follow along and, and learn what it has to say here. It says now, and if anybody says the Bible's boring, they never read it. Right? This ain't boring stuff. I mean, this is amazing. This is this miracle stuff. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 11 of the book of John, it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, the, he whom you love is sick. Maybe a sermon right there. I could just stop right there and preach a sermon on all these crazy misunderstanding of God's word. Here's somebody Jesus loved, and guess what? He was sick. Okay? Some people would say, well, that can't be faith. Well, baloney, he was sick, and Jesus loved him. And so, verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, 
He then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15, and I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he, was already, he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met to meet him, but Mary stayed in the, in the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but it was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling with her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came with Jesus, came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in, in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So Jesus, the Jews were saying, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always that, that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, 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 said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died 
came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. What an amazing story. What an amazing, incredible story. Jesus encountering this friend of theirs. I think it's such, a, such so many levels so amazing. To show Jesus' compassion, how he loved them, but he let them go through things. And, and Jesus comes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. In the story, when I was thinking about it, what I want to talk about today is, I think there's some things in this story that are truths we can pull out of it that can really guide us into having a right attitude in this coming year. There's some things that, that, that maybe we kind of read over sometimes, but that, that if we will get, if we'll understand them on this side of 2014 and we'll embrace them today and we'll use them as foundations for life, that as we walk through whatever 2014 holds, we'll have a right attitude going through the year and we'll be less stressed out and we'll be more apt to follow God into whatever amazing things he has in store for us in the coming year. So I want to talk about some things, actually three things, that I think can guide us into a right attitude in 2014. And the first one is this. And this, is, this comes down, it's, it's based on history, it's based on our experience, it's based on biblical truth, and it's simply this, that we need to believe that God has a plan and he is in control and he's working that plan out. That we have to believe and the evidence is right here, and the evidence is in our lives, as we look back over 2013, that God does have a plan, that he is in control, and that he is working things out. Matter of fact, I think from this story, that is what I'd call the big lesson from the story in this, that we see that God is at work around us, accomplishing his purposes for our lives, as he was for their lives, and we, here's the point, generally don't have any clue about what's happening, but he does. That's one of the things we've got to get from this. Generally, when God's working out his plan, we don't know. I've seen some people, especially in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, believe somehow the Holy Spirit is a crystal ball. It's always telling them what's going on. You know, and they're always having to have the why of it. But what I see from this story and what I've learned in life is we usually don't know the why at the time. They're walking through something, but we can have a foundational belief that God really has a plan, he's really in control, and he's really working it out. And he doesn't tell us why. And people want to come up with all the whys and the therefores, but a lot of times we just don't know those things, that he knows what's going on, but generally we don't have a clue about what's happening, but he does. See, in the story, one of the, maybe to me the most amazing thing of the whole story is that Jesus was fully aware that Lazarus was sick and that he was going to die. He knew that he had a plan that he was going to let him die, and that those people who it says so clearly here that he loved, those who were close to him, would have to walk through that painful event, takes away this idea, this false belief that, oh, if you're walking in the will of God, everything's easy and fun. When you think of something God's plan, you say, well, I just don't, I just don't feel good about that. Well, Jesus let him walk through the death of a, of a brother. He died. And so, so th- those close to him were going to have to walk through that painful event but that he also knew, Jesus knew, that he was going to walk back into town in a few days and raise Lazarus from the dead, that it was his plan, and that none of it was tied to a lack of faith, and none of it was tied to sin in anybody's lives. It was rather tied to God getting more glory and them seeing how great Jesus really is. 
And there was never a time when Jesus did not know what he was going to do next. There was never a time when he was nervous, never a time when he did not know what would happen next, that all of it was part of the plan that he was working out, a plan to help them. It wasn't for his sake, it was for their sake, so that they would more fully understand who he was. That was the intention. They say, you're not just somebody who heals, but you're somebody who can raise people from the dead. He was trying to give them a greater understanding of the glory of God and a greater understanding of who he was, that he really was God. Look in the text. That's exactly what it says. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Then Jesus heard this. He said, This sickness is not to end in death. But he says, Why? But for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And then verse 15 And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go, but let us go to him. So he's saying, listen, he's saying, my plan is to let this guy die so that when I raise him from the dead, you're going to get a better understanding of who I am, that you're going to have a greater understanding of the glory of God. Now, friends, understand, this is the foundational truth, the foundational truth that we need to keep us living in faith and trust as we go into 2014 and to keep us from going into stress. It's the foundational truth that says he really has a plan. He really is in control because you need to understand this. If, If you don't, maybe you do. But understand this, that stress that we're talking about comes from really one thing. It comes from a fear of the unknown. We ask questions like this. Well, what if I fail? Well, how will I pay that bill? What will happen when I see him or see her when I have a stressed relationship with them? What if the test results come back showing that there is a problem? These are the things that cause us to stress because we are afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of the what ifs. It's the things that keep us awake at night, right? They're the things that we can't control. If we can control them, we don't say what if. But these are the things that we can't control And so we lie awake at night. But friends, as children of God, there is a truth that we get to embrace. And we're the only ones that get to. The world doesn't get to embrace it. We get to embrace it. It's this. Our God has a plan. He is in control. And he is working his plan out. Church, there are no unknowns with God. There are no what-if thinkings with God. God knows everything. He's all-knowing. It's, it's one of his attributes. We use the term, theological term, that he is omniscient, that he knows everything, that, that, that there's nothing he does not know or he can't control. Therefore, knowing everything, he never stresses out about what-ifs because there are no what-ifs with God. He knows what is, and what is, is his plan. Understand that? He knows not. He doesn't say what if. He said he knows what is, and what is, is his plan. He is a plan, and he's in control, and he's working it out. And friends, if there are no what ifs for God, then as his children, as children of God, we don't need to stress about the what ifs, because our God has everything under his control. So we don't have to stress out. So going into 2014, as a church and as individuals, We need to stand upon the truth that's proven in this story. It's been proven in our lives that you, that your God 
has a plan for you. That he really is in control and he really is working it out. Even if you're like the, the people in the story that didn't understand it at the time. And there's no need for all, all the what ifs. What if this happens? What if that bad thing happens? What if that bad thing happens? No need for all the what ifs because we're walking with the Lord and there are no what ifs with him. He knows exactly what he's up to. Right? So that's the first thing we need for a right attitude going into 2014. Just understand God's in control. He has a plan and he's working it out. So that's the foundation that we approach the year with. It's, it's the thing we remind ourselves about. That when you start laying awake at night, and you start stressing, you go, wait, 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 wait. You go back to John 11, and you read the story. And you go, okay, wait, wait, wait. They didn't know what was going on either. They were, Jesus loved them. There's not hardly anybody else in all the Bible that says Jesus loved these people. There's no one else that says Jesus wept over. You know, he wept over the whole city of Jerusalem, but he wept over this guy's death. He was that close to him. And people looked around and said, see how he loves him. And that group of people didn't know what he was about to do. And so you can say, well, I'm in good company. And so I can just learn to rest and trust in my Lord who's going to carry me through this year. That there's no what ifs. He has a plan. So it takes away the stress because he knows what's going on. No, no, need to, no need to worry, right? That makes sense? So that's the foundation. Then the next thing that I see from this story that can guide us into 2014 is this. And it's, it's one of these, these all build upon each other. Is that a person can know the truth about a situation, but not the full truth. A person can know the truth about a situation, but not the full truth. And only knowing part of the truth is very limiting. Let me explain what I mean. Think about Jesus and Martha's conversation when Jesus came to see him. Matter of fact, let's, let's reread that. Look at, look at verse 21. Let's read this conversation between Mar- Jesus and Martha about about Lazarus rising from the dead. Verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. There's something really important to see in this conversation. Matter of fact, I think this can, it can revolutionize 2014 for you, and it's this. Martha knew the truth about the situation. In fact, she gave very clear, doctrinally accurate answers about the situation that Lazarus was in right then and that their family had gone through. She understood right theology. She had an incredibly clear right perspective on what was going on, and we see it in this conversation. Look, she's 100% correct. Verse 21, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's right about that. He would have raised him from the dead. I mean, he would have healed him from, the, from, the, from his bed. He did it over and over and over. Verse 24. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She has good eschatology. Eschatology means the study of end times. She understands there's a resurrection coming. Those who die in Christ will rise again. She has a proper view. She's got right biblical 
eschatology, right biblical theology. Yes, Lord, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then verse 27, he says, and yes, Lord, um, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Even before the disciples really got who he was, she understands clearly he is the Christ, he's come into the world, and has this incredibly right theology. She knew the truth about the situation. Jesus was the Christ. If he had been there, he wouldn't have died. And her brother would rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She would get an A on her theology exam in Bible college. She had it all right. She was right, but here's what I want you to get today. But that wasn't the full story. She had, all the, she had all the doctrinal things down pat. She was correct, but it wasn't the full story. The full story was that, yes, Martha was correct, but Jesus had something else in store for them. That Jesus was about to do a miracle that would blow their minds, that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And church, understand, we're people of the book. We said in 2014 we want to be more and more people of the word. Very often we know the truth about life. We know that we have a right perspective on situations. You know, we see it clearly and we understand it in a biblically accurate way. But very often we don't know the full truth about what God is about to do. And if we get stuck on, just cling on to that truth, and never be open to what God has to say. That we get stuck on our truth. We can, it can limit us from experiencing the full truth of what God intends to do. Let me give you an example. The truth about our Mexico missions project was that we didn't have enough money to even build the small house. $4,500 that we're going to be building in 20 days. Um, I committed to it, but we didn't even have that money. That was the truth. We didn't even have money to build a small house. And then we were asked to build a bigger house. So wise financial principles would say, we surely couldn't build the big house, the more expensive house. And that was truth. It was truth. We could not do that. We didn't have the money to do that. I could take it out of our general fund, but I didn't think we should do that. And so the truth was, we didn't have money to do the bigger project. We didn't even have money to do the smaller project. But we didn't know the full truth about the situation. We were right. We were accurate. We looked at it. That was the truth. We didn't have it. But we didn't know the full truth. The full truth was that as we gave an opportunity, the Holy Spirit would move in our spirits and encourage us to be generous. And we, God's truth is that because, that, that, um, that because God stirred up our generosity and, he, and we understood biblical principles, it says, nothing that I have is mine anyways. It's 100% His that we're just stewards of 100% His, we responded and said, this is what we'll commit to. And God's truth is um, that we're not only going to be able to build the bigger house, but we'll also be able to furnish it with some furniture. We're also going to be able to buy them some appliances. We're, we're committing to buy them a stove. They don't have a stove. And we're also, we just decided, we're going to build them an outhouse, a banyo. You know, it's not, it's not the, the $1,000 $10,000 know, gold toilet. 200 bucks for an outhouse. You know, a banyo. We're also going to do that. And we're probably going to have money left over towards the next project down there. God's full truth is much better than our limited truth. And here's what I see. Often we operate sensibly 
out of our limited truth, which is limiting to what God has to do. God's full truth is a lot better, was a lot better than Martha's limited truth, right? Martha understood he'll rise in the end. God says, yeah, you're right. That's true. She's 100% right. Because guess what? Lazarus did die after that. He died, and he's going to rise again in the end of the resurrection. But he didn't know the full truth that Jesus was going to raise him from the dead in the middle. You know, just think about it. What miracles does God have in store for 2014 for us? What's his truth about our situations? What healings does he have in store? You know, he had that healing in store for Lazarus. That that resurrection was in store. A day earlier, they didn't get it. It looked hopeless. But what healings does he have in store? What deliverances is he planning to do? What conversions are about to happen? That person you say could never get saved. Who's going to come to Christ this year? Who's going to be the Apostle Paul who went from Saul to Paul in an instant? When he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. A miracle of deliverance and, and, uh, and salvation. What's God have in store for 2014? That he knows what he's planning on doing. But we're on this side and we don't understand it yet. Church, we can never let what we know to be truth. Keep us from God's full truth. From experiencing what he wants. You say, well, how do we do that? Here's how I believe we do that. The way we do this. Is that we are willing to take the chances that he brings to us and he leads us into. That when we come to a situation and we say, but I know the truth about this. We don't have the money. I know the truth about this. That person's sick. And then he says, but in our spirit, he's speaking to us. And he's saying, but I want to do something more. That we take the chance and we give him an opportunity. We see this in Martha in the story. Martha had to agree to have the stone rolled away from Lazarus. I love the fact it's Martha. Martha's the sensible one of Mary. Remember, Martha's the one who, who is ticked off at Mary another day because Mary's just sitting at, 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 Mar- at Jesus' feet, and Martha's like, I'm doing all the housework. Tell her to get up and work. And he goes, well, Martha, guess what? She's chosen the more important thing, you know. Martha's the one at the tomb at this time that Jesus says, roll away a stone, and she's the one that says, no, 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 no. I know the truth. What was the truth? By now, he's going to stink. She said, he's been dead four days. God, Jesus, he smells. Let's not do this. This is a bad idea. She knew the truth. Was she right? A guy who's been buried in in a tomb for four days without embalming stinks. She was right. She knew the truth, but she didn't know the full truth. So, but she had, then Jesus comes and goes, let's roll away the stone. She could have insisted, no. She could have said, no, I don't want you to do that. And I really believe Jesus wouldn't have done it. She could, he, he says to her, let's roll away. She says no. She'd miss the full thing. But she says yes. I know the truth. She could have said it. No. Dead men don't rise until the resurrection on the last day. But she took the risk. And she followed Jesus' word, his command, his lead, and discovered the full truth. She discovered that with God all things are possible. Because she listened, she did have truth. She was right, but God had more for her to experience. Church, this can, this is what I found about living this way. It gets a lot tougher the longer you live as Christians. You know why this gets tougher? At first, you're starry-eyed with Jesus. Jesus sets you free. You got a brand new life. You're like, he can do anything. Then you live through life for a while, and you go, you know what? Uh, Some things haven't panned out the way I thought they would. You don't see the big picture. 
you're on this side of the resurrection of Lazarus, you don't see the big picture. And what we, what we learn, we learn a lot. We learn a lot of biblical stuff. We memorize a lot of verses. We hear a lot of sermons. And we begin to believe something that it's false. That's what we begin to believe. We, believe. we begin to believe we have all the answers. We really do. We begin to believe. We just look at a situation and we go, here's the truth about that situation. I can just discern it. I know the truth because I've seen it a hundred times before. Here's the truth about the situation. And we think, begin to think we really have a corner on the truth. And what can happen after a while is we can let pride slip in. Pride in this situation is simply believing that we really pretty much know everything. Oh, we memorized the Bible. We got it all down pat. All them new people, they don't know anything. They're seeing miracles because they're just, they're just green enough to say, well, God, I'll do anything you want. But we've lived for a while. We go, well, let's just make good decisions. We know truth. Let's live by the principles of truth. And I'm all for living by principles of truth. But believing we always know everything without listening for the voice of God and really hungering to following his leading keeps us from walking in God's full truth many times. Experiencing God's fullness, friends, will be risky. If you're going to walk in God's full truth, I promise you this, it will make you question what you believe. You'll say, God, but this doesn't seem to line up with what I think. You will question what you believe. It will force you to trust Jesus rather than yourself. That's what it's going to do. It's easy to get a some truth and just sit back and coast until you, they bury you in a, in a box. But you miss the full experience of God. You miss the miracles of God because you, you limit what you are willing to enter into because you say, but I know the truth. You know the truth, but not the full truth. You know, what a year it will be if we open up our hearts and our lives to what Jesus has to say about our situations. He goes, oh yeah, I know. You know he'll rise in the end, but you don't know. I got a miracle in store for 2014. I believe that God has in store for us miracles in his coming year. Honestly, it's what his word says. It's what experience proves to be true. That his plan for 2014 is a miraculous life in his truth, his full truth. That's so much better than our limited truth. That we just say, well, this is what I've learned so far. And so that's as far as I'm going to take it. I'm not going to take any risks. Just imagine, friends, what miracles does Jesus want to show us in 2014? What's his truth about what you think is an impossible situation? The, The bad health report. What's his truth? What's his truth about that lost family member? What's his truth about your financial situation? What's his truth about it? We don't know yet. We may know the truth, but not the full truth yet. And that brings me to the last point. Flows into this third thing. Your current truth may involve a difficult circumstance, but that circumstance may be the key to a more glorious outcome than you ever believed was possible. Think about it. Jesus could have shown up when Lazarus was sick and in bed, and he could have healed him, and that would have been really nice, and it would have been really awesome, and people would have said, it would have been another one of the stories. Jesus raises Peter's mother-in-law from the de- uh, from sick bed, and she serves them, and this blind guy's healed, and Bartimaeus, and, and oh yeah, one day, one day Lazarus was sick and in bed, and Jesus ran, and we said, oh, that's pretty cool. But understand, 
Being healed is really is good. It's awesome. But being raised from the dead is so much better. Right? He's the guy, so he goes, oh, yeah, 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 you were blind. That's pretty cool, Bartimaeus, but I was dead. <laughs> you know, that's really awesome, Bartimaeus. You know, or, oh, yeah, 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 Peter, yeah, your mom had the flu. That's awesome. Jesus raised her up. But I was dead. Not only was I dead, they buried me in a ground, and I was there for four days, and I stunk. And then one day Jesus shows up, and he heals me. Being healed is good, but being raised from the dead is so much better. And none of them could have experienced that life-changing miracle if Lazarus hadn't died first. That's the point. The difficult circumstance was needed in order to experience the miraculous activity of Jesus in their life. In that song I mentioned earlier, Through It All, it says, if I had never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. That's the point. If I never had a problem, if Lazarus is never die, if sickness never comes, if difficult times never arise, then I wouldn't know that Jesus is the miracle worker. And he's a miracle worker. See, I'm quite sure that 2014 is going to come with some pretty big problems and challenges. I don't know what. Who knows? Who knows what financial collapse may be? I don't know. It might be wonderful. Maybe collapse. Who knows? Who knows what sickness is? You may be the one who has two surgeries next December in your family. I don't know. We may have three. I don't know. And neither do you. Because I'm on this side of it. I'm quite sure, though, there's going to be some challenges and problems. But understand, friends, those are the opportunities for God to do great things. God doesn't always keep us from difficulty because sometimes His plan is to reveal His glory by doing something miraculous through that difficulty. That's sometimes, not all the time, but that's sometimes His plan. And so we look at the, we look at the, the situations not as obstacles, but as opportunities for God to do great things. If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that Jesus could solve them. Friends, let's end 2013 by looking with incredible anticipation and excitement into 2014. God's truth just may be that some difficulty, that some obstacle will be his opportunity to display his glory in your life. He is in control. He has a plan. We don't need to stress, but to trust and to follow Him. That's how we walk into 2014 and walk with confidence and trust and see God do amazing things. Is that what you want for the year? That's what I want. Mitch, would you come? Would you stand with me this morning? I want us to end this morning by just looking to Jesus. I'm going to encourage you to take some time. Matter of fact, I encourage you just to even leave your seat when the music starts to play and come down to these altars and, and let's, let's come forward and bring our impossible situations to God. Let's also in advance commit to walking in faith in 2014, saying, God, I'm on this side of the resurrection. Right now, Lazarus is dead. My Lazarus is dead. He's in the ground. I know he stinks. And that's, that's how I see it. But God, I need to, I need to you, have you help me see how to walk through it. He doesn't often show you what's going on, but he'll give you confidence to walk through it. He'll give you love and joy and faith to walk through it. 
let's just commit to God saying, God, as we enter into 2014, we want to walk with this incredible sense of confidence in you. This incredible sense, God, of, of the opportunity. The obstacle is really an opportunity. And God, we want to be open to whatever you have for us in the coming year. So Pastor Mitch, if you just begin to sing a song, he begins to sing, we begin to worship the Lord and challenge you. Let's come and spend a few minutes just, just committing ourselves to what God has for us in the coming year and being open to whatever he has for us, being open to going through difficulty in order to see greater glory. So let's look to him this morning. Heavenly Father, we just by faith open up our hearts to you and say, God, as we close the book on 2013 and we walk into 2014, let us learn from your word. Let us see that, that oftentimes we're Mary and Martha. We might even be Lazarus in the story. And that, God, we go through, through incredible challenges sometimes so that you can reveal your glory in greater and wonderful ways. So, Father, right now, we commit ourselves. We commit ourselves to walking in trust this year. We don't know what we're going to face. But we know that this, you have a plan. You're working it out. And we can trust you. So, Lord, now we commit ourselves to walking in faith in this following year. Let's just worship Him and make a commitment.